0: I'm Tony Ambrosio from TSN. You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro.
1: The Jays Journal podcast and I'm your host as always Ari Shapiro picking up the pieces after a five to one loss by the Toronto Blue Jays as they slowly make their way out of New York taking only one out of four games in a weekend series that I think many fans had high hopes about but listen there's no need to fret I mentioned earlier on my Twitter account that the 3-5 and record against the New York Yankees at this stage in the game is actually a lot better than you think it is. And considering how well they played up until these last couple of games, especially last night when they failed to pick up a win against a, a struggling Montgomery, I think that fans need to continue to temper their expectations and stay very r- realistic about what this baseball club really is all about. I mean, we know certain things, and we're hopeful about other things, and it's terribly important that you stay rooted in the reality of what you've got when it comes to the types of players on this team. And it's been, for the most part, a welcome addition to have these reclamation projects pan out. Every time a Jan Hervis Salarte or a Curtis Granderson or a Ledmus Diaz, a Teoscar Hernandez comes up to the plate and gets something done, you can't help but think, hey, where, where where was this before? Where was this last year? Well, it it took its time getting here. It took its time getting here because Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins took their time putting together a plan that works for fans, you know, a team that has some depth. And unquestionably, this Blue Jays team has depth. And they're showing it in how they're dealing with the injuries to Josh Donaldson, as well as devin travis and so we've got to go with the flow especially now with yord zgoriel jr in the picture and appreciate that every day will be a new adventure and they're not always going to end up with w's and they're not always going to end up with efforts that you can write home about obviously today was disappointing for a lot of fans but here we are on the precipice of a series that i think will be the one that shows you what this blue jays team is all about And to help me on this episode, I've invited a number of writers and guests that I think you'll find are especially intriguing. We've got Ian Hunter coming up from BlueJayHunter.com and Tony Ambrosio, celebrated sportscaster with TSN and Marshall Auerbach, another familiar voice from the Levy Institute to talk about various different aspects of this Blue Jays season to date. And then, of course, in adding with the fun and excitement of this episode, I managed to get our friends from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, Richard Burfer and Dan Segan, have appeared on the show yet again, magically delicious, to offer us their soothsaying ways when it comes to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and how they're doing in the minors. I know many of my listeners have been asking me lately, Ari tell us about how they're doing will they be called up what should we know and understand about them well here's the opportunity to do that through these great gentlemen at the CBBSN and last but not least a real surprise for you my friend and colleague at the Jays Journal our minor league savant and guru as I call him Craig Borden has managed to land a fantastic interview with Blue Jays farmhand Patrick Murphy who was drafted in round three of the 2013 MLB draft and he's currently in Dunedin, where the six-foot-four, 220-pound righty is working hard to try to make the show. And we've got a great tête-à-tête between these two gentlemen as we talk about Patrick's efforts to try to make the big club. So buckle up and stay tuned for some fantastic action here on the Jays Journal podcast. And to start it off, I could think of no one better to invite to discuss what's been on my mind when it comes to rationalizing the Blue Jays' early success. I am, of course, referring to the success they've had in particular with runners in scoring position. Uh, Aside from the last few games, it's been beyond stellar. And I sat down with Ian Hunter, who's one of my favorite bloggers and writers on all things Blue Jays, to ask him where did this early season success come from in his eyes, and what he thought about their success to date.
2: Um, well, I mean, to me, it's it seems like a, uh, something that probably isn't sustainable over the course of 162 games. Um, I know a lot of people are, are really excited about what the middle and the bottom of the order has been contributing, but I don't think Luke Bailey is going to be uh, batting 1,000 the rest of the season with runners in scoring position. Um, but, I, I mean, the one encouraging thing is that you are seeing – Um, contributions up and down the lineup. It's no longer just someone like Josh Donaldson or Justin Smoke driving the bus. You've got Jan Harvest Solarte wherever he happens to be batting in the lineup, and then the combination of uh, uh, Pearson and Granderson, if they're at the uh, top of the order or the bottom of the order. Um, And even someone like Devin Travis, who seems to be kind of turning the corner, uh, and and Randall Grichuk as well, Um, they're really not as much of a station to station offense as they have been traditionally the last two years. Um, You know, really the blue Jays have been reliant on the home run uh, the last two, three years. And this year um, they have hit a lot of home runs, but you have seen them grind out runs and manufacture runs um, with the aid of some really astute base running, which is something we haven't seen from this club uh, in quite a few years. So, um, you know, the runners and scoring position thing, I don't know if that's going to sustain itself the entire year. Um, but for the time being, it's, it's really encouraging to see that they are getting contributions up and down the lineup. Yeah, they, they've definitely got some difficult roster decisions to make in the next little while. Um, to me, it, it seems like John Givens really just wants to kind of field the best team he possibly can for every single game. Now the front office is obviously going to weigh in on those decisions. It uh, seems to me like Gibby is someone who really, really likes um, someone like Teoscar Hernandez and wants to keep him in the lineup as long as he possibly can. But with Morales returning and Josh Donaldson uh, coming on the on the horizon there, it's I feel like the Blue Jays kind of have a bit of a log jam on the roster here and they're it's difficult to foresee all of these guys getting significant playing time. So, you you know, my heart tells me that the Blue Jays should keep someone like Hernandez on the roster, but um, I have a feeling he's probably going to be sent down to AAA, whether it's when Morales comes back or when Donaldson comes back. Um, Simply for the fact that, you know, there are so many outfielders right now and, it's really kind of a, a big puzzle piece right now, which uh, I don't envy John Givens in the front office trying to figure out, but, I mean, this is a really uh, good problem to have because, you know, last year it's someone like Darren Barney or Ryan Gillins who were taking up a bulk of the playing time in the middle infield, and really the Blue Jays didn't have any other options, and now they have plenty of them. So it's a, it's an enviable position to be in um, roster construction-wise, but filling up the lineup. Uh, yeah, it's, li- it's going to be a little difficult for Gibby
1: the next little while. Ian, of course, has written extensively about Jose Bautista on numerous occasions throughout his career as both a blogger and a writer. His focus has always been on what this legendary player has meant to the franchise, and I asked him what he thought about him catching on with the Atlanta Braves and what fans should think about him today, given how far he's both fallen and found himself a measure of resurgence.
2: Well, I thought he had a really nice uh, send-off from the Blue Jays and, and their fans last year, but ultimately I thought, you know, he kind of deserves a better send-off to just, you know, fall into the baseball abyss and never be heard from again because, I you know, I realize he's 37 years old. He had a really a bad season in 2017, but this is someone who, you know, it was two years removed from having a, a 40 home run season. Like he must have some kind of talent left. Like he's—it's not like he's a decrepit old man. He's still a pretty talented ball player. So, I although it wasn't—it was with the Atlanta Braves of of all teams, of course. But um, I was kind of encouraged to see that he's getting another shot. And a team like the Braves, who are really not expected to do anything at all. That's probably the perfect scenario for him. That he can come in, maybe as a, an older leader or older player, and kind of be a mentor to the younger the younger players. He also may actually get, you know, some significant playing time if he being the third baseman for the Braves, because I don't think they really have anybody on their depth chart at the moment. And um, yeah, it'll be it's it'll be interesting to see. I I don't think he's going to hit 20 home runs, but. He definitely deserved a better send-off to just, you know, tip his cap to Blue Jays fans and walk away from the game. I feel like he's someone who should have, who should keep playing. I mean, he's not going to be at an elite level, but he could still definitely contribute to uh, a major league team. And the fact that he is back, reunited with Alex Anthopoulos, it just kind of makes it come all the way full circle again. And there's, I've heard, you know, maybe these are kind of. Unfounded rumors, but, you know, there are some sort of rumblings that if Josh Donaldson does uh, test free agency, perhaps he again reunites with Alex Zoboblis, the guy who brought him to Toronto. Maybe Josh Donaldson goes and signs with the Atlanta Braves. So you you always tend to see, it seems like these front office executives, once they've done their homework on these players and they know them inside and out, um they really don't have any problem going back and and taking another shot at them and this is why you're seeing you know Alex Anthopoulos go out and sign Jose Bautista I think Anthopoulos said that Bautista had more lucrative offers out there but it seemed like Bautista kind of wanted to uh, work with a a preferred front office staff and Anthopoulos he was the guy who inked Bautista to that contract extension in Toronto so there's definitely a little bit of history there so it's uh i'm not really surprised to see those two back together again
1: finally since i had ian to discuss a plethora of different subjects related to the blue jays my real concern was understanding his take on the josh donaldson situation i've been getting a lot of questions lately about viewers and listeners asking what is his situation on the extended disabled list what does it mean and what impact it has on the blue jays as a team and management's perspective about him for the future. Here's what Ian had to say about that.
2: Well, I mean, in the short term, it's um, I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten that Josh Donaldson's been on the disabled list because his team has scored runs at an unprecedented rate. Um, I don't expect that to continue, but, um, you know, the offensive drop-off in production going from Donaldson to someone like Solarte is not quite as dramatic as I expected, so it's not... People aren't... uh, desperately pining for him to return as soon as possible. I mean, it's, as you mentioned, the, this injury has kind of been enigm- enigmatic, like whether it was a dead arm or shoulder. Like, I feel like the front office kind of wasn't 100% forthcoming with the, all the information, which, I mean, they don't really need to be. But at the same time, it maybe they undersold it when they should have probably put him on the DL in the first place. Um, long term, I feel like if anything, maybe this plays in favor for the Blue Jays because that um, puts Josh Donaldson's uh, free agent contract value down a little bit. I don't know, maybe this maybe it ends up costing him you know 10 or 15 million dollars in the long run. Um, to me, my guide has always told me that I feel like if Josh Donaldson wants to get paid, really it's going to be from the Toronto Blue Jays because we've seen this past year, Guys in their early to mid 30s, you know the the days of the 10 10 year, 200 million dollar contracts are over. Um, teams are lining up to pay guys like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, guys in their 20s, not guys in their 30s anymore. Um, yeah. So this injury doesn't it, it doesn't really bode well if Donaldson is thinking that he's going to get you know like a seven year, 150 million dollar contract. Um, I, I still feel like there is a very strong possibility that he could come back. I have a feeling it's, it would probably be on a shorter-term deal, maybe something like a three- or four-year deal, something at like $30 million, $28 million per year, uh, which is fine because you know, you've know you got Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the minors. Maybe he's not here for another year, year and a half. Um, but if Josh Donaldson walks, then you, you kind of bring him in and, and hope uh, he kind of takes over uh, at third base. So, um, you know, in the short term, this, it, it kind of it hinders the Blue Jays a little bit, but long term, I feel like it, it plays into their favor if they wanted to uh, bring Donaldson back on the contract extension.
1: That was Ian Hunter, a good friend of the show and a fantastic writer that you can find on BlueJayHunter.com as well as his contributions with the Sporting News, MLB, Daily Hive, T.O., and the Jays Nation. Be sure to check out his great work. You know, it was at this point in the show that I started asking myself, at what point do we want to believe that this team is the real deal? That seems to be the real issue on every fan's minds. Is this simply a matter of selling expectations for the ball club through A really fluky good start, or are we starting to see legitimate signs that for the average fan there is a reason to be encouraged? I turned to celebrated Toronto Sportscaster with both TSN and TSN ten fifty, the great Tony Ambrosio, to get his thoughts on that. Did he think this was simply an apparition, or are we looking at a team that might give fans a reason to be hopeful for the entire season?
0: When Kevin Pillar stole home plate against Dylan Batangas and the Yankees and the Jays won that game. And split the series, I was sold. Because after those first two losses against the what is supposed to be the best team in the American League East, I think the Jays showed me and showed their fan base that you know what? We're gonna be okay. Now look, it's two and a half, three weeks in, long way to go. But this team has shown me from that moment on they don't quit. Doesn't matter what the score is, doesn't matter how good the bullpen they're facing. They don't quit. Is it sustainable long-term? I don't know. I think it is because, you know, you and I were talking about those the other day. There's a good chemistry on this team, and we're seeing that because they never quit. And I love their approach at the plate. They're runners on base. They're aggressive. I mean, very few times do you see them strike out called. They'll go down. They all go down swinging, especially with guys on bases. And and, and I appreciate that. Again, is it sustainable long-term? I don't know. I think it is.
1: Naturally, my thoughts fell immediately to John Gibbons, and I began to ask myself, is this a case where he's managing this team differently? And I mean, why are they having this much success this early and being so uncharacteristically aggressive from previous Blue Jays team? Here's what Tony had to say about his distinction between what was then and what is now.
0: You know, that's a great question. I think in when we go back to 15 and 16 especially, I think John Gibbons felt we're going to hit a two or three run home run here and either seal the deal or come back and win the game. Now I think he's saying to was guys, go out there, be aggressive, because if you don't hit a home run, at least you'll get on base, at least you'll create things that. And I think the team is now in a hurry-up-and-wait approach as far as before they were in a let's-wait-and-see-what-happens approach. And, and I love it. And I think John Gibbons is trusting the Randall Gritchicks, the Diazes, the Solartes, the Smokes, 3-0, and go up there and hack away. And, and you're right. We haven't seen this before. And, and I love this new aggressive mindset. And I think it's the only way for this team to be successful. I don't think there's enough pop in the bats to sit back and wait for the three-run home run. I think they have to be aggressive, and I hope what we're seeing early on continues the rest of the way.
1: Tony and I went back and forth on our various different interpretations of chemistry, and I asked him what he felt was the glue that was essentially keeping this team together, and what new faces he was most impressed with that were making the difference in what this team was capable of doing compared to previous years. Here's what he had to say about that.
0: I think what's happened was, and as much as Jose Bautista, a dynamic player, I think his presence was so big in that locker room, but I don't think guys felt they could be themselves, or maybe they were relying so much on Jose. Look, let's be honest here. Randerson and Grichuk and and Pastor Hernandez are an upgrade on Jose Bautista last year. Goins and Barney have been upgraded with Solarte and Diaz. You've got guys who can play multiple roles, guys like Solarte who are switch hitters, and you've got, a, I think, a comfort level in that no matter the situation that John Gibbons finds himself, he feels he has actually some people to play with, some things he can do. Whereas I think last year especially, you had to play Jose and right. You had no other options. You had nobody on the bench. Kendris Morales was clogging up the base pass. And as much as you want to see Morales back, I think his absence has been a good thing for this team because they can do smit and run. They can hit 3-0. They can move guys around. They can play Solarte at third. They can play him at second base. There's so many more options. And I think that, the chemistry, they seem to like each other. They seem to want to play for each other. All that has contributed to what we're seeing. And I, and I, and I know the next week against the Yankees and Red Sox. No, I, uh, I, I think I got my answer in there. I just, I, I just like what I see. I, I, think, I think they have enough sustainable pitching, both relief pitching and starting. I think they have more depth than they had last year. And I think with young guys, you know who I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to mention Alfred instead and maybe, you know, Ramirez in the relief role of once he gets healthy. It gives them a bit more depth long-term. And I just think what we're seeing isn't a short-term thing. I really believe that this plays well long-term for this team. I really think this this is a team that's going to be in there all season long. I really do.
1: That was the inimitable Tony Ambrosio. You really should check out his work. He's been a favorite Blue Jays sportscaster of mine for many years, always contributing with some fantastic literary and audio work. And, of course, you can always catch him on TSN. His Twitter account is at Tony underscore Ambrosio, and you can find him at TonyAmbrosio.com on the web. He's definitely someone you should be paying close attention to as the Blue Jays continue to gather steam and make an impact throughout the days. So now I turned my attention to understanding a little bit more about the interpretation of what a fast start is. And I thought to myself, who could I ask that is a master at understanding economic variables, saber metrics and analytics, and baseball wisdom in such a manner that he could quantify it and break it down in a way that we could all understand? And naturally, I could only think of one person, and that gentleman is Marshall Auerbach, a market practitioner and analyst at the Levy Institute, and one of the smartest cookies I know, whom I ultimately decided to approach by starting with, look, are we going to debate that this is in fact a fluke, or is there really something about this team that has caught his eye that maybe he can distinguish more than the average individual? Here's what Marshall had to say about that.
3: Well, the main thing uh, from my perspective is the fact that, and the reason it doesn't seem fluky to me, is the, the, the fact that the um, situational hitting has been so vastly superior to what it was last year and indeed in 2016 I think one of the things that really concerned me at the start of 2017 and even before that was that um, the team really finished weekly in 2016 and uh, scoring, hit, hitting with uh, with runners in scoring position was a real problem even for that 2016 team. I think it was obscured somewhat by um, the fact that they still made the playoffs. The, the cranks were already showing in the foundation then so that's one thing that makes me much more optimistic. Uh, the second is the fact that the pitching looks really strong. I mean, Sanchez really seems to have put his um, uh, blister problems behind him, and um, the rotation one through five is is giving them a solid um, five or six innings uh, every single time out. And. Um, Thirdly, uh, there's just obviously a lot more depth, and the, these depth moves that they um, acquired, or these depth players that they acquired in the off-season, have already been uh, have already vindicated the, um, the, the the decisions that were made in the sense that um, Diaz has been proved to be a very very serviceable uh, shortstop. His defense is average, uh, which is ad- advertised. He's shown some good power. Solarte has not only been a real revelation in terms of his versatility, but he's just a joy to watch, a a man that is likable and and, and really seems to um, uh, enjoy himself when when he's out there. And um, even Grishik, who I know is everyone's bet noir, looks like he's starting to come out of his slump a little bit. But the other thing I like about him uh, is that he is a fundamentally sound player. And in fact, that's the other thing I would say about the team in general. Um, They are. Playing fundamentally intelligent baseball, so that um, the, the, I was at the game yesterday, and what was obvious was that, you know, when the shift was on, they were exploiting that. They were taking what the defense gave them and and, and hitting the, the ball to the open uh, fields. So they weren't hitting into stupid um, double plays. Um, they were advancing the runners. Um, there's a lot more speed to the lineup, and them. Um, and I think uh, Gibby has done a very, very good job um, with some of the managerial moves he's made. So overall, I think there's a, there's lots of things to like about the team so far.
1: With the arrival and emergence of Teoscar Hernandez, you can imagine that there are a lot of opinions related to his staying power in the lineup. Of course, it doesn't hurt now that he's hit 11 home runs in his first 33 games as Toronto Blue Jays hitter. Naturally, there's a great palpable sense and a desire to keep this player Active with the big roster, I asked Marshall what he 'd like to see the Blue Jays do with him, and how big a challenge it is to accommodate a player like that in a crowded lineup
3: well it's uh, first of all it 's a very nice challenge to have because he 's doing exactly what you would hope he was doing he's, he, the fact that he 's making the decision so hard for, the, for for the team is 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 a great uh, place to be in the, the, the If it was just a question of thank God Morales is back, and we can send this guy down to the uh, the minors for more seasoning then um, it wouldn't be as happy an outcome. So um, I would say, listen, Morales, uh, you and I have discussed this before, he's a mistake. Um, I don't care if he's being paid $11 million. Uh, you know, as him said, said uh, in uh, some of the comments I saw today on, uh, talking about the Blue Jays on Sportsnet, suggested that you don't um, pay $11 million to have him sitting on the bench. I think that was Arden Swelling's point. And my point is, well, you know, I don't pay for, um, for, for tickets to watch some, um, you know, slow, um, uh, unidimensional player clogging up the base, pads, hitting into double plays, um, et cetera, et cetera, especially when you've got some young guy who um, is slamming the ball. It may be a small sample size, but he also plays competent defense. And, and frankly, um, the only thing... Less appealing to me, the, the sight of um, Ken, uh, when you see Kendris Morales wearing a, a glove, that's about as appealing as you know, seeing a Japanese nuclear reactor in some, uh, a station next to some attractive beachfront property. So I think you really um, just sit him on the bench and let's see what Teoscar can do against the Yankees. I mean, it's a tougher matchup, but if he continues to rake, why would you want to take him out?
1: And finally, knowing that Marshall himself happens to be a really, really committed Jose Bautista fan in his own right, I asked him his impressions on the minor league signing and how fans should feel about this kind of fall from grace or the ignominy of having to take a contract far below the expectations of a couple of winters ago when we were projecting five years at $30 million a year. Here's what Marshall had to say about that.
3: It's sad, uh, but of course, uh, his uh, season last year was sad too, and uh, you know, I'm glad we got a chance to say goodbye to him, uh, and he's done so much for the franchise, but uh, nobody can outrun uh, father time, um, even if you are using uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Ultimately, uh, uh, age does uh, catch up with you, and I'm sure that um, Bautista could have signed the contract before if he'd accepted the realities of his current position earlier, I suspect, that some um, you know, look, he's he's a he's a proud guy. Uh, he's probably uh, not the easiest guy in the clubhouse for, or at least the perception of him is that he's a high um, uh, maintenance type of, of player. And all of those things come into uh, mind uh, when when um, uh, you're you're thinking about signing someone like that, particularly someone who's 37 years old, uh, who has obviously deteriorated from where he was um, two or three years ago. Now, um, Alex Antopoulos has a very special relationship with him, but I think he gave him uh, a, a, a "Okay, prove-it-to-me kind of contract. Um, if you make the, uh, the majors, if you can still do what you claim you can do, then you'll make uh, a million bucks. Look, Jose is, is independently wealthy in any case, and um, if he wants to play, he's got to accept that um, he's got to swallow his pride a little bit and and, and take that sort of money, uh, and if he can't uh, uh, play, uh, then um, it's, it's a very, very low risk and typically astute move by Anthopoulos.
1: Be sure to check out Marshall's fantastic work, not just on baseball, but on all things geopolitical and macroeconomic when it comes to his analysis of the world, ranging from cryptocurrencies to the current relationship between the U.S. and China. You can find him on Twitter at Mauerback. Be sure to check him out. So this is the time in the show where I'd like to turn our attention to a regular contribution that the Jays Journal podcast receives from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. I'm talking specifically about the great Richard Burfer and Dan Segan, who dropped in to talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette in the minors and to give us an idea of not just how they're doing, but what implications exist now, knowing that these two players are going out of their way to push themselves onto this major league roster as quickly as possible take it away boys.
4: Hi Ari, thanks again for having us on board. What we're going to do today is talk about two of the most touted Jays prospects in the minor leagues right now. It's obviously Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette and really just jump into how they're doing at the beginning of the double A season. Obviously Marcus Stroman wanted them up with the Jays now but it seems like they're in the right place right now and they're just playing the best that anyone could have ever imagined
5: yeah again uh you know we always appreciate being on this podcast and uh these are guys that we've talked about before but with the hot start that they've both had we felt like we just had to come back and talk about these guys a little bit more right now Bo is the fourth youngest in double a vladdy is the youngest player over all of the way and these guys are both hitting well over two well over 300 just you know exceeding expectations from anyone and these are high expectations that they're exceeding
4: yeah and i mean if you look at into both of their approaches at the play, a guy like Vladdy junior he's 19 20 year, years old right now and you don't really see this at a double a level he's getting guys are pitching around him and someone that young he just has such a great idea of what the strike zone is and he never chases and you see his bat speed it's just an insanely stupid bat speed you know but he gets these breaking balls and he doesn't chase he sees a fastball that he likes he just lets it rip, and that's when you see hard contact all over the field. Guy like Bo Bichette looks like a really mature hitter. Uh, he has a two-strike approach, and he sticks with it. And he's a guy who just hits the ball all over the field, gap to gap. Uh, he has, as well, just like um, Vlady Jr. He has good bat speed, and he can. If a pitcher messes up, the ball's gone. And but with, with both these guys, you just have to be excited with what they're doing right now
5: yeah how i would describe these guys swings for both of them is violent Mm -hmm. and while their swings are both violent they're just barreling balls all over Mm -hmm. the place they also know how to you know take a good approach at the plate Mm -hmm. vladdy's still drawing walks neither of them are striking out a ton Mm -hmm. and they know when to swing hard they know when to cut back two strikes they're both you know taking down their swings putting a ball in play still Mm -hmm. getting good results yeah
4: and in terms of how they are in the field, there is always talk about maybe moving Vladdy over to left field or moving Bo Bichette to second because of their arms. But so far, the Jays are running with it, and everything looks good. I mean, you've seen them in spring training. They made a couple of good plays, um, and it seems like this is what they're going to stick with.
5: Yeah, right now, uh, both of them have played eight games. Bo started six at shortstop. Vladdy started, one at, sorry, he started seven at third. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them have a game at DH. Bo has one start at second. So mm-hmm. for the most part, these guys are definitely you know sticking with their natural yeah. positions. And I think the Jays, as an organization, like where they are right now, and they mm-hmm. think they could see these guys playing short and third, respectively, in the yeah. future.
4: Yeah, it's only a matter of time at this point before they move up to Triple A. Uh, you just see them um, playing Double A games, and they're just too good for the level. So the Jays are just going to slowly progress them up the ranks and. Who knows, maybe by the end of the season we're going to see Vladdy and Bo up as September call-ups. Who knows?
5: Yeah, I think these guys, it's no doubt they're going to be at AAA unless something you know, unless for injuries and you know, uh, lengthy cold streaks mm-hmm. these guys should be at AAA by the all-star break and if you know, the pass has been any indication these guys are just going to keep
4: hitting. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Jays are winning, Vladdy and Bo are doing well in, in A. Let's keep this up and Hopefully, I mean, we can push them back, keep them in the minors until next season. Hopefully, the Jays make a nice playoff run if they keep playing like this. And who knows what next year will hold? Who knows what the future will hold for these guys? Uh, yeah, uh,
5: like you said, we don't need them right now. So, might as well just keep them, keep them there. Uh, let them keep hitting.
4: Mm-hmm. Anyways, Ari, thank you again for having us on board. Always love talking baseball t- with you. Until next time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again.
1: Great stuff as always from the boys at the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at CBScoutingNet and check out their prospect reviews and daily analyses of all great things happening on various different farm systems that you might not be aware of and as soon as you learn will be intrigued and forced and compelled to see what they have to say and write. That's great work from Richard Burfer and Dan Sagan. And now to end the show, this is something that came as a bit of a surprise at the last minute when I was reached out to by Craig Borden, one of my favorite guests here at the Jays Journal. I know you follow his work online and all the great stuff he does from a minor league perspective at the Jays Journal. Apparently, Craig had the opportunity to sit down with Patrick Murphy, a draft pick in the 2013 MLB draft that the Blue Jays selected in round three, and the two of them discussed Patrick's current experiences down on the farm and his efforts to try to make the Big League club. So please enjoy, for the rest of the episode, this fantastic interview between Craig Borden of the Jays Journal and Patrick Murphy of your Toronto Blue Jays.
6: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Jays Journal podcast. This morning, I have a wonderful guest with me of the Dene Blue Jays, and his name is Patrick Murphy. Off to a decent start this season. You got two starts so far under your belt, and how are things feeling so far?
7: Uh, Things are going good so far. Um, Been up a little bit in the zone. First two starts, just definitely want to focus on getting down going forward. But so far, two decent starts under my belt to start the season. Uh, things are going well down here in Florida. Yeah, and um, you
6: got a heck of a team that's hopefully going to give you plenty of offense to uh, go along with this. Um, does it feel like you guys, um, I've been mentioning in a lot of my articles for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, minor league system for jaysjournal.com, that uh, you guys kind of have that locker room where this could be Back to back championships. I know it was co champions last year because of
7: the weather fun, but does it feel like that in the locker room still? Yeah, definitely. I think we got a great group of guys on here. We got a solid pitching staff, a few returners from last year's championship team, both in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. Uh, some experienced staff, and then we got some good bats in the lineup with uh, some of our t- top picks last year, Logan Warmeth, Riley Adams. Um, we got some other good guys, um, Brad Jones last night, they're swinging it. Uh, John the Priest coming off injury and some returning outfielders. So I think we got a pretty good group here that could definitely uh, make a run at it. Um, it's a long way away, but, you know, everybody does their job. We uh, put together uh, a good season. I think we have a good chance at it.
6: Yeah, it definitely looks like it on paper. And um, like I said, it's, we were talking about before the show started, it's uh, been a little bit of a mixed batch early, but I think you guys have all the talent in the world that you're going to find a way to get out of it. Ups and downs, and find some
7: consistency, right? Yeah, definitely. We've had some close ones uh, early on, lost a few one-run games, but that'll—I think—that'll turn around here soon.
6: Yeah. So, as far as your starts are concerned, you guys got off to a great start against the Clearwater Thrushers, um, and you had basically a lights-out performance. You know, five innings of solid work, only allowing three hits, and you struck out three. So, that's a one way to start your season, I guess, huh?
7: Yeah, it wasn't a bad start. Early on, uh, I felt good. First innings, kind of a cruise, got some run support. Fourth and fifth, I got uh, a little out of the zone, put a few guys on, but worked my way out of a few jams. Um, the team was putting up runs early on, so, you know, pitchers had to just go out there and throw strikes, get some outs. And we had a good first series. But uh, same thing lately. I mean, pitchers have been doing well, hitters. You know, we put up a few hits. We're just not getting the big hit the cash in the run, but that'll come, like I said, that'll come soon.
6: Yeah, and um, as far as your second start, it's, you, you looked good. <laughs> you know, you did a great job, but uh, Cardinals just found a way to get a few hits and string them a few things together on more than anything. Is there anything majorly different between the two starts for yourself?
7: Not for the two days. I mean, like I said uh, before we were talking, I think I was a little up in the zone more this outing, so I was, uh, They were just hit finding holes, and then the last inning or two, uh, I was able to throw up some zeros and uh, locating a little better and execute my pitches a little better.
6: Yeah, it definitely looked like you settled in more throughout the game. And one way or the other, and this is one of the things I've enjoyed watching you, Um, I I was able to watch you more last season with the Lansing Lucknuts, and uh, I've heard nothing but praise from Jesse goldberg Strassler. and a conversation I've heard from him, by the way, too. uh, Yeah, he's a man. Yeah, and um, I, I usually make a trip to each Meyer League team, at least for a couple of days here and there, and I literally just missed one of your starts last year in Lansing. So um, I got to see Yesne Diaz, and uh, when Justin Maaset was actually healthy, I was able to see him pitch.
7: Those are two fun
6: ones to watch, that's for sure. Definitely, and you're in that group too. you know. So, And um, as far as things go, I wanted to talk about how your health over the first couple seasons has really formed you into this solid player that you are now. Um, You know, having the Tommy John surgery right when you were drafted, the Blue Jays still having the confidence to draft
7: you third round. What was that really like? Oh, That was definitely uh, definitely kind of a surprise. You know, I had Tommy John after my junior year of high school, missed my senior season, uh, wasn't sure what was going to happen come the draft. Uh, I had been committed to Oregon, so I knew that I had that. If things didn't go the way I wanted them to, but um, I didn't really know what to expect. Because you know, coming out, coming off Tommy John, not many, not a whole lot of teams saw me my junior year, so it was kind of tough to gauge and get a feel um how many teams who was interested and how serious the interest was this and that. But so I didn't come draft yet. I really didn't know what to expect. Um, in the second day. Uh, I got a call early in the morning from my uh, agent, and then he was like, hey, you're going. Here in a few picks to the Blue Jays. And I was pretty much surprised because it was early in the morning. Definitely wasn't expected third round. And my parents were actually not even home. Nobody was home. I just oh, wow. woke up. My mom and dad were at the gym um, just taking care of business in the morning and thinking if something happens, it'll be later in the day or in the three. And my dad walked in. The the take before my name was called, and my mom was actually not home when it happened. So it was pretty funny. Just me and my dad at home when it happened, had to call mom and
6: tell her. But it was really exciting. There you go. And that's exactly how it is because, you know, how it is. Our parents always helped us out in all these, you know, the little league sports and traveling around from town to town. You kind of had like almost like an extended celebration, it sounds like, throughout the day because somebody would come home and it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm catching the Blue Jays. Yeah, definitely.
7: And then there was obviously we. Just high school just finished out with so our graduation parties constantly. Uh, just seeing more and more people and then hearing about the news, it was pretty cool. That's great. Almost
6: like caught in the whirlwind, whirlwind a little bit. So, but um, as things went, it, you had unfortunately a couple setbacks really early. And how did the organization stick with you? Because it just looks like they were you know, they knew at some point you were going to be, you know, catching your ground, you know, and running with everything which is what has
7: happened in the last few years. Yeah, the Blue were definitely the one team that uh, believed in me the most, clearly. They uh, took a chance on me um, coming off surgery without seeing me a whole lot in a few years. Didn't know how I'd bounce back. Then I had a few other setbacks um, neurologically, had thoracic outlet, had my older nerve moved in my elbow. Um, so it was definitely a long process, stressful, um, some dark days in the training room down in Dunning, Florida. But, you know, the staff was awesome. They took their time with me. They were patient. Uh, they were determined to figure out what exactly was wrong and get it fixed. And finally that happened.
6: Yeah. And uh, as a person, I had labrum surgery on my throwing arm. And um, also been, got my funny bone in a different place now with the ulnar nerve surgery. So I know how you feel on that one. was a good year and a half of not feeling normal and having trouble getting back into the swing of things. So. I can tell yeah, definitely on that one. But um, as far as what you learned in that time frame as uh, how to be a good player and how to work hard, what were some of the positives that you got out of what was something that could have killed some players'
7: careers? I think the biggest thing I learned was just patience and dealing with adversity. You know, for a while there were times I didn't know exactly what was wrong or what was needed to be done to fix it. But, you know, just being patient, trusting the team doctors, the trainers physical therapist, all that, that we would get an answer eventually. Um, That was the hardest part, I'd say, just being patient with the whole process. But then also the hard work, you know, in staying the course with the rehab, um, just with the weight lifting, the rehab every day, um, doing all that while only being able to watch the other guys play was pretty tough. Mm. But I think it was good just to develop a strong lower half because for a while I was limited to lower body uh, workouts for a long time, so developing a strong lower half and then finally being able to strengthen my upper body once that came, but I think I think it taught me a lot of patience and hard work and uh, behind the closed doors, you know, not out on the field.
6: Yeah, and as far as that hard work is that you are alluding to there, that effort is paying off in spades, I think, at this point, as you put together a great 2016 campaign, really establish yourself as a great arm in the Toronto Blue Jays system. And you've been kind of rolling along with that since. You had another great year with Lansing, for the most part, last year, and got that little quick-season audition at the end of the season last year with the city and Blue Jays, and
7: now here you are, right? Yeah, 16 was definitely just first season back. You know, get back in the swing of things, get back on the bump, uh, get back in the routine. You know, I've been since 2012, since I'd pitched regularly. So it was definitely a long time coming, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, Got back. Uh, There were obviously some restrictions on pitch count and innings and all that. So, it was fun to get back out there. And then last year kind of got a little more freedom um, with pitch count and burning every fifth day instead of sixth day like I did in 16. Uh, Had another solid year last year, a little injury, a hamstring injury kind of set me back for a little bit there in the middle of the summer. Other than that, my arm's been great since. You know, just keep building. Looking forward to just keep building up my innings. Uh, each year and having fun and keep uh, living on with some of these guys. And clearly, um, you're a big fan of this
6: game. You love it one way or the other. So I I feel And like if you're not out there and contributing with the team, you know, it just doesn't feel right.
7: Yeah, it's definitely tough. Definitely tough watching. A lot more fun getting out there and competing with the guys. But the the
6: lower half stuff, especially as a pitcher, I'm sure has paid off really well. Um, and as a person that's had the pleasure of watching you, um, you do have a solid great repeatable delivery, which is I kind of almost following the KISS principle, keep it simple, you know, <laughs> so um, I just like that you load up really nicely and then you effortlessly generate 90 miles an hour for fastballs, so it, I'm sure all that lower half training lot with building up on your arm paid off in that time.
7: Frame. Yeah, definitely a lot of emphasis on lower half and trying to find a repeatable delivery, take as much stress off the arm as possible after going through the numerous surgeries and rehab days. And
6: um, as far as the pitching focus period, um, one thing I've always loved that you do, you pound the strike zone. You don't walk a ton of guys, so you're not hurting yourself throughout an outing for the most part. Um, Obviously, sometimes things go awry awry with your, anybody's delivery for that matter, but for the most part, you know, you haven't even... You've cracked almost about 100 innings in the last two uh, seasons, and you're not even over 40 walks in a year. Is that something that's a point of pride for you, that you're not hurting yourself?
7: Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, even I mean, I don't know what exactly i walked in the last years, but even going forward more, it says I want to walk even less than I have, because I still feel like there's times when I get myself into my jams, or when I'm when I'm giving away, free bases, and definitely want to limit that as much as possible. Obviously, they come and go, but the limit, the walks as much as possible just helps going forward. So, try to be aggressive out in the zone with all three pitches and let my defense do the work behind me.
6: And you always have had a good defense behind you, it seems like, in the last two years, too. So, that definitely helps. Just let them make contact and let your uh, let your team help you out. It's not a one-game game, right?
7: Exactly. Let them have some fun behind me. Keep them in the game.
6: It's more democratic that way. <laughs> so. Yeah,
7: definitely.
6: As far as the other stuff that you do, um, you obviously, like we t- I touched on a moment ago, you're in the 90s with your fastball. You have a curveball that almost drops like a hammer toss. <laughs> and uh, hey, You've been working on a change-up over the last season. How's that development going?
7: Um, it's going well, you know, prior to... The last year and a half, I didn't really have much of a change-up. Um, kind of was always relying on my fastball curveball. Um, curveball is my favorite pitch, so I kind of have always been stuck on just throwing that a lot with the fastball, but I realized to keep progressing and moving on as a starter and hopefully eventually get to the big leagues, um, a third pitch is going to definitely be key to remain a starter. Um, facing guys two, three, four times in the lineup, can't just be flashing two pitches. They can eliminate once, you know. Progressing my changeup has really been a key emphasis the last few years and it's definitely helping. Um, last year I was kind of just throwing a lot of it just to get the feel and get comfortable with it. Um, now I'm starting to pitch with it a little bit more, use it situationally and know when to use it and what, after what, what swings I see, reading swings, and seeing when would be good times to throw it. So I think I'm definitely progressing uh, with the changeup and I'm excited about that
6: yeah and that's great hard work for you because like you said most pitchers will never make it with just two pitches you end up being like the just that repeatable pitcher that somebody's going to time up at some point especially if you're not changing speeds or anything at the same time and that's why the changeup is such a valuable weapon and i'm sure you do move around your curveball and fastball and change speeds a lot too but that's just to keep the hitter guessing right
7: yeah, third pitch, definitely, because definitely, pitching is all a uh, change in timing, keeping keeping hitters off balance, so that third pitch definitely helps.
6: As far as um, goals for this season go, before this season, us at Jays Journal, we kind of have a big conversation about who lands on the top prospects list and all that kind of guys, and I had you on my short list for the sneaky guy for this season, um, almost following like kind of like what Ryan Barucki did last season and kind of shot up. Um you have all that talent, and you have been able to now, like you said, get more freedom in the innings. Um, do you see yourself jumping a couple levels this season, or what are your goals for
7: 2018 in general? Um, like I said, my goal is going for this year just you know staying healthy and building on that, those innings. I've um, increased my inning limit uh, each year. You know, I keep I want to just keep pushing that. Um, commanding and developing all three pitches being comfortable using them in any count, I think, just to be more efficient and uh, go deeper into games and get those innings I need. But as far as moving up, I mean, obviously that's always a goal. Everyone wants to move up as fast as possible. But, you know, it's kind of out of our control. Um, as far as pitching, just go out there and pitch every fifth day, stay healthy all year, and go as deep into games and pitch perform the best I can and let them control the rest and hopefully i can take care of that and then if they see what they like maybe you know get moving obviously that that would be awesome but there's no telling and when or where that'll happen
6: the um, trial blue jays ta- uh talent level in the minor league system has kind of bloated over the last season and i'm sure you've seen it um especially on your end with the championships that uh Dean level and in Vancouver. I'm sure you have plenty of buddies throughout the system that are, you know, doing handsprings with the amount of talent you guys get to play with every day. Yeah, definitely.
7: We have a lot of talent, um, especially at the upper levels, um, infield, outfield, catchers, pitcher. Like, there's a lot of talent. So it's it's fun to be around because you're competing with uh, guys that are talented and you guys are all going for the same goal, but it's not me versus him. It's us Together and just having fun competing together.
6: Yeah, and it does create that you know that yeah, I'm sure you guys, like I said, camaraderie or camaraderie in the uh, dugout and everything. And you guys do feed off of each other. Somebody else pitches great one day. I'm sure you come in with that fire the next day, and you just want to kinda of one up them almost, but in a friendly, yeah, around, yep, competitive definitely,
7: way. <laughs> definitely friendly competition all around.
6: As far as um, spring training goes, I, I, I wanted to ask you if you had a chance to. Pick anybody's brain that is a couple of levels up on, on you, or if you got to talk to anybody, like Marco Estrada, for example, on change-ups.
7: <laughs> Things like that always. Well, uh, um, I haven't really gotten over to the big league side much in spring training, but um, just as far as talking to some of the older guys, like Brian Brucke, uh, some of those guys that have been over to big league camp and just hearing some of their stories, uh, like I said, he has got a good change-up, so I've talked to him here and there. Um, other guys have talked about uh, things that Strada does with this change-up, so just kind of passing the word along, um, mm-hmm. talking, to Rick Langford, talking to Rick Langford a lot, who's got a lot of knowledge and experience and success in this game. Uh, just have various pitching coaches, but haven't been over to the big league side much to see those guys that are currently doing it, but still getting knowledge and tips from anyone I can.
6: Yeah, and I didn't know how uh, free-flowing that relationship was between the Meyer League camp and the Big League camp there in the spring. I am—I um, know it's kind of like a last-minute call if they want you to come and hang out for the day in a spring training game or something like that. So, um, But I'm sure that's coming for you as far as, you know, you keep performing like that's the way fun. you have been, you're at least going to start getting those kind of conversations where you can almost hop the fence in the
7: spring, right? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, just like I said, just keep doing what I can, and hopefully they – see what they like, and uh, give me those opportunities.
6: Yep. So before I uh, let you go, I don't want to keep you too long I know you guys got a game this evening. Um, I had some random fun questions that I wanted to just, you know, let the fans get to know you a little bit better. So first thing that I, um, most fans, if they went to go find out more about Patrick Murphy, they got him on onto Google. Did you know the first person that comes up on Google when you type in Patrick Murphy is two senators and then you?
7: No, I didn't. I don't really go on Google a whole lot, but I'm sure I'm not the first one that pops up.
6: Yeah, I just, um, I like I said, I was just trying to do this from a fan perspective last night when I was doing some of my homework, and uh, like I said, I have had the pleasure of watching you, and I just typed it in, I'm thinking, and I'm like, oh wow, apparently you're a Florida center, a Pennsylvania center.
7: Yeah, call
6: <laughs> Out of your teammates that you've had the pleasure of playing with, who is the most likely to be caught pulling pranks on somebody in a duck?
7: Oh, i pulled pranks in the day. Oh, that's tough. That's um, to out of the spot. No, no. Oh, I'm trying to think. That's
6: tough. Or maybe it's you from the. <laughs> no, I
7: mean, not really pranks. Just, I think, just jokes and sense of humor, just keeping it light, you know. Not really one specific person that's really pranking people. I haven't seen a whole lot of pranks since that's I've been true. here. Oh. Um, John Stilton, rehabbed with him. He he would pull a few pranks here and there um, when he used to be with us. He was definitely one of the older guys who'd been around. He had some pranks. Um I'm trying to think who else. Not a whole lot of pranks he played around in the clubhouse. Well, It's good that you guys keep it light in the dugout
6: one way or the other. If it gets too serious, that's when the team all of a sudden starts imploding, and I think you always have that couple clowns on the team that – you know, do lighten that mood move up. Or maybe it's just more of a general thing with you
7: guys down there. So. Yeah, we're just trying to have fun. I mean, it's a long year, so, I mean, getting too serious and frustrated early on or even in the middle season just makes the season even longer. So, I mean, trying to keep it light and have fun as much as possible, keep a good, fun clubhouse with the guys, gives us a better shot at winning and having more fun throughout the year. Yeah. As far as what we were talking about with
6: family and whatnot earlier, really? as far as growing up playing baseball. Um, what was your favorite memory that you had growing up as a kid, or was it as simple as just being with your family and whatnot? I think
7: my favorite memory playing baseball growing up was um, probably going to the Babe Ruth World Series. Uh, our like, club team, speeder team, that fed into our high school. It uh, was that our eighth grade year. We, we had a pretty solid team. Uh, went to the Babe Ruth World Series in Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, looking back on it, didn't realize that I'd be playing against my future teammate, Danny Jansen. Um, we, played, we played against them in the Baby World Series and beat them. And, um, like, because was, that was his hometown, so some of their families were, like, housing some of us because, like, we lived with, like, host families. And it was the Austin, Wisconsin team. So, got to hang out. I didn't have Jansen as my host, but got to hang out with some of those guys and meet, obviously, Jansen before... Two years prior, and knowing we'd be teammates. That was pretty cool. Fun to look back on. Yeah, man, um, I had the pleasure of
6: them. meeting Danny Jansen at a thing here in Buffalo, uh, New York, a couple uh, months ago, and oh. he's a character amongst himself too. So if that's that you get to run into in a baseball situation all over again, that's got to be great.
7: Yeah, David's awesome. Great family. Great kid. Uh, has a lot of fun. He's fun, fun guy.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Last random fun question I'm going to ask you: What is? Maybe this is something you haven't been involved in or at least seen in a game you've been in. Strangest thing that's happened on a baseball diamond in your uh, tenure years playing?
7: Strangest thing that's happened? Um, let me think. I think yesterday the strangest thing I saw on TV was the three-run sack fly in the Marlins game. Obviously, <laughs> they ball but the sack fly scored bases loaded the sack fly scored got from third and then they tried getting the guy going to second and it was thrown into center there was nobody there and all three runs scored i thought that was, the that was slightly was the insane. <laughs> you yeah that. i've never I guess, seen a three-run score on a regular routine sack fly
6: it's <laughs> definitely one of those things you don't see every day and uh, that just goes to show you and um uh, anything that happens as soon as that ball is you know tossed out of your hand or one of your uh, teammates Anything can happen on a baseball diamond. I remember reading at some point that somebody at some point tried to do all the math on all the random stuff that could happen in a baseball field, and it's just almost infinite. it. <laughs> so, yeah.
7: so I job. mean, every day, you've been playing this game for years, and not every day, but you'll, every few days, you'll see something you haven't seen before, and you're like, what the, how did that just happen, why did that just happen? So it's definitely definitely a game that there's, no matter how much you prepare, I mean, in-game situations are always changing, and it's definitely just reacting uh, as you go. Yeah, so
6: that brings us to a nice, like, little half-hour chat here, uh, Patrick. So is there anything else you'd like to add um, when your next start is anything like that?
7: Uh, I'm going to think my next start is Wednesday uh, at home against Fort Myers. Uh, We have an off day Monday, so that's pushes us back a day, but, yeah, Wednesday at home versus Fort Myers, probably 6.30, I would guess.
6: So, I guess uh, the next thing is, when I'm down in Florida in July, I guess I'm going to have to stop by the ballpark and see if I can uh, meet you in person instead of just being the guy on the other end of the microphone.
7: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. If you're down here, just let me know, and I'll say
6: hello. Alright, sounds great. Um, So, anyway, everybody... Blue Jays fans and Jays Journal fans alike. This has been an interview with Patrick Murphy. And Patrick, thank you very much for being on the show this this morning. Thanks for everything. I appreciate it.